Good evening and welcome to all. We are going to look at a fascinating question this evening, a topic that is shrouded in mystery and is quite fascinating, pretty confusing and very little known. And that is the topic of the 36 hidden tzaddikim, the hidden saints that keep the world going. It's one of these things that is sort of known a little bit, but not really well known or understood. The idea that there are hidden tzaddikim, righteous people who are hidden, who are not known, their identity is not known, and they are spread around. We don't know who, where they are or who they are, but they keep the world going. They maintain the world. They, they keep it alive. They keep the world maintained in its existence. These hidden saints, righteous people, who if it weren't for them, the world would not continue. Now, it's one of those things, there are stories about them. There are many stories about hidden tzaddikim, people meeting somebody who does not look or seem at all like a saint. In fact, usually the opposite. But it's discovered and found out that they're actually extremely righteous and holy people undercover. Sometimes only after their passing, it's identified that they were a hidden tzaddik. Or sometimes another tzaddik, a revealed tzaddik, identifies that person as being a hidden tzaddik. These stories abound and they enchant, they pique our interest and curiosity. The idea that there are people, who knows, maybe you're one, maybe there's one right next to you. We don't know who these people are. Who are these righteous people? They're probably the people you least expect to be righteous. So someone who you bump into who doesn't seem all that righteous has more likelihood to be a righteous saint because they're hidden. What, what better place to hide than in someone who is unrighteous? So there's this uh, imagination that is, that is aroused in not knowing who these righteous people are, where they are, and what they're about. And it's fascinating. So what I would like to do with you this evening is examine this idea, this teaching of the 36 hidden saints to try and discover its source. Where does it come from? Where's the idea? Who are these hidden saints? Is there a way to identify them? Why 36? Why the number 36 exactly? And why are they hidden? What are they doing? What's their purpose? And can we identify any today? Do we know any hidden tzaddikim today? So to go into this, we're going to go through sources. Uh, as, as always, we, we try to learn these ideas not from fluff, not from just imagination, but from actual sources, because Judaism and Torah is based on sources. We're, we're, given, we're given Torah ideas. But in researching this topic, I have to say, it wasn't easy to come up with concrete sources about these hidden tzaddikim. In fact, it's quite the opposite. There's a lot of conjecture and suggestions and ideas and vague statements written in secondary sources, online sources that talk about the hidden tzaddikim, but primary sources, Torah literature, the, the, the works of our holy sages, speaking openly and, and accurately and in detail about the hidden tzaddikim, I wasn't able to find all that much. Which is not surprising, because the nature of Torah is that Torah is the blueprint of creation, the world is a reflection of Torah. Torah is the divine wisdom through which the, the world was created. That's a teaching from the Zohar. 
a Kabbalistic teaching that God looked into the Torah to create the world. The Torah is the blueprint of creation. And so, therefore, the way something appears in the Torah is the way it will appear in the world. And the way something is in the world will be the way it's found in the Torah. What do I mean by that? A topic in the Torah that is hidden is something in the world that is hidden. And things that are hidden in the world will be hidden in the Torah. Get what I'm saying? So a topic such as this, we're talking about hidden tzaddikim, the righteous who are hidden, who, who we don't know about. If that's how they are in the world, if they're hidden in the world, they're also going to be hidden in the Torah. Meaning you're not going to see in the Torah openly and obviously statements and explanations and information about these hidden tzaddikim. Maybe their existence will be intimated, will be hinted, will, will be indicated, will, will be found a little, a little scrap somewhere here and there, but to get the information about them, we're not going to find them. Just like the tzaddikim in the world, you can't get the information on them. They're hidden tzaddikim. They're people who are not obvious, who are not known. And so you can't ask them who they are. They don't have a sign on them saying, I am a hidden saint. That would be a little bit defeating the purpose. There's no... Um, like known website where you can look up your local hidden saint or a place where they hang out. There's no WhatsApp group you can join to find the hidden saints. Maybe they have their own WhatsApp group, but we don't know where it is. We, we, we are not privy to it because they're hidden. If they're hidden in the world, they're also hidden in the Torah. So you can't just open up a book of Torah and look up the chapter on hidden Sadikim and get all the information about them. You have to dig much deeper. You have to try and find beneath the surface. There are some books that are attributed to hidden tzaddikim themselves. But they're not going to give you all that much information either. They're not going to tell you anything about themselves because then they wouldn't be hidden. So it shouldn't be surprising that this topic is opaque, is elusive, is one that we're going to have to work to scrape the surface and find beneath a little bit of light, of information, to peek into the world of the hidden tzaddikim and get a bit of a view of what's going on there. So I did my best to try and find some primary sources on this topic, and I found a few. And they're pretty fascinating and will transform our view of the hidden tzaddikim. The most, most primary source and the most available source that seems to explicitly tell us at least a very little smidgen of information about the hidden tzaddikim, is not a Kabbalistic work, not, not mysticism, but the Talmud. The Talmud itself, which is the great compendium of Jewish wisdom, uh, committed to writing approximately 1,500 years ago, in two places, just mentions 36 tzaddikim. In tractate Sukkah, 45b, Memhei Yomad Beis, and also in Tractate Sanhedrin on Tzadik Zayin Yomad Beis, page 97b. Both of those places has, have the same quote. It talks about the rarity of Tzadikim in this world, that a truly righteous person is quite rare. However, the Talmud says, the teaching of the sage Abaya, Abaya told us that the world never has less than 36 Tzaddikim, 36 saints who receive the divine presence every day. 
Meaning, 36 righteous people every day receive the divine presence. What does that mean? I don't know. I've never had it. But I, th- I think what that means is they have revelation. They have a, have a divine connection. They feel the divine spirit. They connect with God in a palpable way. Like they, they actually have a divine flow of light on them. They receive the divine presence every day. 36 people do this. 36 saints do this every day. For it is said, and they, he, the Talmud here quotes the book of Isaiah that says, Happy are they that wait for him, for God. Happy are they that wait, that, that, that are in anticipation of God. And the word in Hebrew for him, that wait for him, is lo, lamad vav. And the numerical value of lamad vav is 36. Every Hebrew letter has a numerical value. Lamad is 30, vav is 6. So there are 36 righteous people who are happy to, to anticipate God Every day. They are the happy people who receive a divine revelation every day. Lamad Vav. And for that reason, in Yiddish, these tzaddikim are known as Lamad Vavniks. The Lamad Vav tzaddikim, the 36 tzaddikim, Lamad Vavniks. Uh, a Lamad Vavnik is a hidden tzaddik. If someone calls you a Lamad Vavnik, they're calling you a hidden saint. So, so that's straight out of the Talmud. The Talmud does not offer any further elaboration on who these 36 tzaddikim are, why the number 36, apart from the hint in the verse of, of Lamad Vav, Loi. And um, also, interestingly, there is no mention here of hidden tzaddikim. They're not described as being hidden. It just says 36 righteous people. It doesn't say we do know them or we don't know them. It just says a statement, there's got to be 36 the, the world cannot have less than 36. These people are maintaining the world. The, the, can't, the world can't go on without them. That's what the implication is, even though it's not said uh, explicitly. Now, that tells us a little bit, tells us that there is the, an idea of 36 saints. It doesn't tell us much more than that. Uh, exploring further, there is a statement in the Zohar, more specifically in the, a section of the Zohar called Tikkunei Zohar. Now the Zohar is the great work of Kabbalah that was written down by the students of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai in the second century of the Common Era. And there's a section of the Zohar called the Tikkunei Zohar, which is teachings of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and his son Rabbi Lazar. It's a fascinating work because it's actually 70 different interpretations, Kabbalistic interpretations, of one word. The first word of the Torah, Bereshis. In the beginning, where it says, in the beginning God created heaven and earth, the word Bereshis is explained in 70 different facets, 70 different angles, Kabbalistic angles, in the work called Tikkunei Zohar, and, uh, which is quite a feat. Now, in the midst of one of those interpretations and explanations, which they are all very profound, deep, and go into various different issues. In the middle of one of them, it says the following teaching from Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai. In the exile of the Jewish people, after the destruction of the temple, the exile of the Jewish people, it's fulfilled the verse that it says by the prophet Hosea, not Isaiah, but Hosea, Hosea in Hebrew. The prophet Hosea said, 
which means their heart is broken. Referring to the Jewish people in exile, he prophesied that the heart of the Jewish people will be broken in exile. It will be painful when we go into exile after the destruction of the temple. But in the Zayar, it interprets that phrase, Cholak Libam, their hearts are broken, in a different way. This is referring to the 72 Tzadikim, 72 Tzadikim, who are like the Sanhedrin. Okay, hang on a minute. The, the, the word Libam, their hearts, they broke their hearts. The word Libam, Lamed, base Mem, has the numerical value of 72. Lamed is 30, base is 2, Mem is 40. So, when it says that their hearts are broken in, in exile, this is referring to the 72 Tzadikim, that are like the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is the high court of the Jewish people. And the high court of the Jewish people contained 70 elders with one head of the Sanhedrin. So altogether 71. This is a 72. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll see what that means. We'll, we'll work that out. We'll have to work that out. But he says like the Sanhedrin had 72 we thought 71, but 72 it says. So, so too, there are 72 tzaddikim. Uh, like we know that Moses in the desert appointed 70 elders. And then there was Moshe above them as the head of the Sanhedrin. Uh, somehow we're going to get to 72, but we'll, we'll work on that soon. Says the Tikkun Ezer, there are 72 tzaddikim like the Sanhedrin. One second. We thought 36, right? 72 is double 36. Oh, but it says Cholak Libam, that Libam, the 72, Cholak, are broken. Their heart is broken, literally, but the 72 are broken. Oh, Veroza de Mila. So the secret of this is, says the Zohar, quoting the, the verse from Isaiah that we saw from the Talmud, Happy are all those who anticipate him. Loi, Lamadvav, 36. Lamadvav So the, the word Loi, Lamadvav, works out to 36 in numerical value. The Inan Lamadvav Ba'ard Yisrael. That is referring to 36 righteous people in the land of Israel. The Lamadvav, Levar Ma'ard Yisrael, and 36 additional tzaddikim outside of the land of Israel. The Da'iuchalak Libam. And that's the meaning of the verse, their hearts were broken. Libam, the 72, were split into two, 36 in the Holy Land of Israel and 36 outside of the Land of Israel. So the Zohar says here a fascinating idea that was not clear from the Talmudic statement. And that was that there aren't actually 36 tzaddikim holding up the world, there are actually 72, 36 in the land of Israel, and an additional 36 outside the land of Israel. Originally there were 72 tzaddikim, who all were in the holy land of Israel, when the Jewish people were there, and the temple stood. However, as Hosea predicted the destruction of the temple, the exile will cause a breakage of their heart, their hearts will break, but Libon, the 72, will break into two, 36 tzaddikim will be in 
the Holy Land, and the other 36 will be spread in the exile in the rest of the countries that the Jewish people are spread. Fascinating. So now we've got a new, a new idea that there are 36 holy tzaddikim in the Holy Land. There are 36 holy tzaddikim spread around the rest of the world. You can see that the little sliver of real estate called Israel merits the equal number of tzaddikim as the rest of the entire world. Because, of course, the holiness of the land is far more intense and greater. It is the Holy Land. It's enough for the rest of the world to have 36 tzaddikim. The Holy Land itself merits to have 36 just for itself. But the tragedy is that these 36 tzaddikim outside of the land are exiled, disconnected. They're not together with the 36 in the land of Israel. And so the implication of the Zohar here is that there is some issue in that. There's a problem here. And that is that these 36 tzaddikim outside of Israel cannot gather together with the 36 inside of Israel and team up. They can't work together. Because when you have the 72 together, that's when you have the full intensity of the holiness. Whereas when they're split apart, it's exile. It's golus. And when Mashiach comes, they will be reunited. It's a fascinating thought and it actually arouses many other thoughts and possibilities. We know that many of the great tzaddikim throughout the ages had extra yearnings to reach the land of Israel and come to the land of Israel. And some of them were, were prevented. For example, the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov himself had a very great yearning to go to the land of Israel. He traveled, he made it to Turkey, traveling from Poland, but he got blocked on the way. And this, there are f several stories of the various spiritual blockages and things that came in the way to not let him get to the land of Israel and, and, and to reach there. Could it be that he was somehow trying to connect the tzaddikim of the diaspora with the tzaddikim of the land that the 36 should be able to meet and that would be the coming of Mashiach? Who knows? But the, the, the extra yearning for tzaddikim to get to the land and them not being able to get there could be something to do with this split, the broken heart of the tzaddikim split into two sections, into the land of Israel and into outside of Israel. So there's, there's a little bit more information from the Zohar. Uh, and that's about all we hear. We don't hear what the purpose of the tzaddikim is. We don't hear why they... Um, the number 36, we don't get much more information there at all. Moving on to a later authority that quotes this Zohar and has some more, some more ideas. The Marva Shemesh was a Hasidic master, one of the students of Rebbe Lamelech of Lijensk. And in the Marva Shemesh, he offers another level of understanding of these tzaddikim and a bit more of an insight into what the Tikkun Ezra said. Because remember, the, the Tikkun Ezra compared the 72 tzaddikim to the Sanhedrin, which has 70 and one leader, which is 71. We'll get some more information on that here. So he, he says the following, that there's a, a verse that says that the nations of the world, this is from the par Parsha Hazinu, right at the end of Deuteronomy, that the nations will split out into the same number as the Jewish people, which is explained as being that just like there were 70 Israelites, the children of Jacob who went down to Egypt, so too there'll be, there are 70 nations 
in the world. The world is, is, is comprised of 70 nations. So the Marva Shemesh asks, what's the big deal of that? Yeah, there were 70 children of Jacob and 70 nations. Big deal. What's, what, why is the, why, what's the connection between the two? Why is that sung as a praise of God in, in, in the book of Hazinu, in the parish of Hazinu? So he explains like this, that God created the world for his glory to, to bring his light into the world, that the divine power should be revealed to human beings, to finite beings like you and me. That's the purpose of creation. And so he created man. He blew into man, into Adam, the first man, a breath of life, a soul. And that soul includes all worlds. It has a connection to all the highest worlds. And the soul is full of understanding and, and spiritual insight. And the idea was that Adam and Eve together should serve God and, and draw the divine presence into the world uh, and brought, draw his power into the world. However, we know the snake got in the way, fooled them into sinning, into doing the wrong thing. And so after that, after man multiplied on the earth, we found corruption coming to the world, starting with Adam and Eve and the next generations. There was the, the, the generation of their grandchild, Enosh, started worshipping idols and that started going away from the path of God and denying his existence until 10 generations later, the flood arrived to destroy the world of immorality. And even after that, it didn't quieten down. Nimrod was a, a big leader who built the Tower of Babel as an affront to God. And he drew people after him. And so on and so forth, we find the corruption of humanity not fulfilling its mission until the great light shone of Abraham, of Ramavinu, our father Abraham. He started with his own intellect to think through what is the purpose of life? What are we here in the world for? When he was only three years old, he recognized that there is a creator who is above us, who has a mission for us. And he started teaching this to everyone who would listen, that there's God who wants us to live a moral life. He would teach people to bless God and to thank him. And after him, his son Isaac went in the same way and, and to, to increase the glory of God in the world until Yaakov, the third generation, Jacob, came into the world and followed the path as well. And Jacob gave birth to 12 sons who were the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. And that became the nation of God. And so now... God says, now we're, we're recreating the world. Jacob is like a, a recreation of Adam with a new nation of holy people. And God did not want the world to go back to the way of, of corruption that it was before. And so the 70 souls of Jacob's family, when he went down to Egypt, his children and grandchildren numbered 70 souls. So God created that the, there should be 70 nations corresponding to those 70 souls. And the 70 nations, each one has an angel above. And each soul of those 70 souls of Jacob has a direct connection to one of those angels, an influence over one of those angels. And as long as the 70 souls of Jacob uh, are, are doing the righteous thing, doing the right thing, so then it will bring holiness and goodness to those 70 nations, the angels, and then it will trickle down into the nations as well. There'll be goodness in the, in the world. He put that responsibility on the 70 souls of Jacob.
And so he says that that, that number 70 is hinted at in the, the, the Hebrew letter that has the number 70 is Ayin. And there's a big Ayin in the Shema. The Shema Yisrael prayer, the Ayin of the word Shema, Shin Mem Ayin, is big in the Torah. And look in your Siddur, it's also big. When we say the Shema, there's a big Ayin. Why? Because Ayin is 70. And 70 represents those 70 souls of the Jewish people. And each one of us is an extension of one of those 70 souls. And each one of us has a nation in the world that we are responsible to elevate and inspire and bring light to. And so that ayin is big because it's a big deal. It's a big mission for us to connect. When we say, when we say Shema, it's Shema Yisrael. Hear Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Our job is to bring the oneness of God in the world through Torah and mitzvahs. That's the Jewish mission. And when we do that, each one of us bring light to a part of the world, to a nation in the world, one of the, one of the 70 nations. This is our mission. This is what we're here to do. And so that's why the ayin is big. When you say the Shema Yisrael, think about that. That you're saying Shema Yisrael, hero Israel. Israel is you, you're the, you're Israel, you're the Jewish soul. It's also saying Yisrael is the name of Jacob, our, our father. Those 70 souls that were his family, they were all a part of those 70 souls. Each one of us, there may be millions of Jews, but we're all an offshoot of one of those souls. Therefore, we have one nation out of the 70 nations of the world that we are responsible through our good deeds and our mitzvahs to illuminate, to bring light, to, to bring hope to the world. He says this is hinted at in the, the verse that's in the book of Psalms in Tehillim that says, Olam chesed yibane. The world is built on kindness. The world is built on kindness. Which is a beautiful verse as it is. We don't need to elaborate. The world is built on kindness. Uh, kindness is the foundation of everything. Being kind doing good, giving. That's what the world is built on. God created the world out of kindness. It was a kind act that he created the world. He, did, he, didn't, he, he wasn't doing it because the world deserved it. He did it out of kindness and love. The world was created out of love. But on a deeper level, it means this, that in every generation, doesn't matter how many thousands of Jews there are, we're all built on those 70 souls, the 70 souls of Jacob's family. And in each generation, there are 70 tzaddikim. 70 tzaddikim corresponding to the 70 elders that there were in the desert. Moses appointed 70 elders. And so there are 70 tzaddikim, 70, 70 tzaddikim that correspond to the 70 elders of the Jewish people. And Moshe and Aaron on top of them. The 70 elders and then Moshe and, and his brother Aaron, they were on top of the 70 elders. And so, in every generation, there are tzaddikim like Moshe and Aaron and 70 leaders as well. All together, 72. Okay, so one sec, one sec. We got, we got now back to the number 72. There are 72 tzaddikim. Just, there are 70 nations. There are 70 souls. There are 70 tzaddikim with Moshe and Aaron on top of them. So we've got 72 tzaddikim in every generation. And they, there's, and these tzaddikim are the holy souls that give inspiration to the entire Jewish people. And through that, the entire world, all the 70 nations. And 72, the 72 tzaddikim, 
is the same numerical value as chesed, loving kindness, love, kindness, chesed. Chesed is 860, chesed is 8, summer 60, dollar is 472. And on them, the world exists, says the Marva They have the power to subjugate the negativity of all those 70 nations, the angels in, uh, above them and down here in this world, that no evil should come out of them. They should only serve God and only the glory of God should be revealed. So this, this is the, this is the 72 tzaddikim. And he says, corresponding to that, Rabbeinu HaKadosh, Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, the author of the Mishnah, the Mishnah, which is the core teachings of the Talmud, he wrote 60 Masechta, 60 different tractates of Mishnah. Because in the time that he wrote it, there were 10 nations that were already holy. There were 60 left that needed a lot of work. He doesn't say who the 10 were and, and who the 60 are. But he says in the times of Rabbeinu HaKadosh, the 2nd century, when the Mishnah was written, there were 10 nations that were already sort of sorted out. There were 60 nations that needed elevation. So he wrote 60 tractates in, in, in the Mishnah. And through that, the 60 nations were elevated. And he continues. This is the important part. Outside of Israel, there are always 36 tzaddikim, like it says in the Zoyar, which we learned. And they are hinted at in the verse, Ashri kol loy, happy are those who await him, who anticipate him, God, Lamed Vav, 36. And that's how many tractates there are in the Babylonian Talmud. The Mishnah was written in the land of Israel. The Babylonian Talmud, as the name implies, was written in Babylon, outside of Israel. How many tractates are there in the Babylonian Talmud? 36. We said there are 60 tractates of Mishnah. But the Talmud, which is an expansion of the Mishnah, does not necessarily comment on all the tractates. There are some tractates that have a Mishnah without any Gemara, without any Talmud on them. And so there are 60 tractates in Mishnah, but there are 36 tractates of Gemara. Mishnah was written in the land of Israel, whereas the Talmud, Bavli, the Babylonian Talmud, was written in Babylon, outside of Israel, because there are already always 36 hidden saints, saints outside of Israel, in Babylon. Okay. So, where do we get from here? We've got an explanation of what it says in the Zaire that there were 72 tzaddikim because there's the 70 elders with Moshe and Aaron as their leaders. And indeed, the Sanhedrin also had a similar setup. There were 70 judges in the Sanhedrin. There was the head, the Av based in the head of the Sanhedrin. There was also the Nasi, the prince or the, the spiritual leader of the generation. And so there were always 72 leaders like Moshe and Aaron and 70 elders. The 70 Sanhedrin, the of based in the head of the based in the head of the Sanhedrin and the Nasi, the prince or the leader. So too, there are 72 tzaddikim in every generation. 36 in the land of Israel, 36 outside the land of Israel. And they maintain the world and all of the nations of the world are dependent on this. The Jewish people get their inspiration, their spiritual uh, light from these holy tzaddikim who receive the face of God every day. And through them, the, through the Jewish people, ex it extends to the 70 nations of the world, get their spiritual sustenance through these 
tzaddikim, 72 of them, two great leaders, the, the holiest leaders of the generation, 70 sub-leaders under, underneath that, and 36 in the land of Israel, 36 outside the land of Israel. Okay, so that gives us a bit more insight into what's going on with these tzaddikim and why the number 36, what, 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 what they're actually achieving based on the nations of the world. This idea is taken further in the book Lekutei Torah by, by Rabbi Shneir Zalman, the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya, where he explains something fascinating. Now, I'm soon going to share with you a story, uh, a real story of a hidden tzaddik, one of these hidden tzaddikim, particularly connected with the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shneir Zalman. Uh, but before we get to that story, uh, the Alter Rebbe in Lekutei Torah, in Parshas Shmini, he quotes a fascinating Midrash. The Midrash says that when Mashiach comes at the end of times, God is going to put on a big show for the tzaddikim, for righteous people. And that show is going to be a contest between the Leviathan and the Shor Habar. The Leviathan, or Leviathan in English, is a giant, huge fish. The Shor Habar is a huge giant ox what god's going to do when says the midrash when at the end of days when mashiach comes is he's going to make a massive contest a wrestling match between the leviathan and the giant ox they're going to wrestle with each other and what's going to happen says the midrash is that the leviathan is going to slaughter the ox with its fins and the ox is going to pierce the leviathan with its horn that's going to be the show for the tzaddikim, for the righteous in the world to come. A very mysterious statement, to say the least. Uh, there are stories about this Leviathan, this giant fish that was created in the beginning of time, that the entire world stands on. So that this, it sounds like a very mythical creature. And this giant ox as well, and the idea that we're going to eat these things in the future. This giant fish and this giant ox. The Midrash says there's going to be a competition, a wrestle between the two. The Alter Rebbe explains this is not a circus. This is talking about a very deep spiritual concept, a very deep idea. The wrestle with the Leviathan and the giant ox is symbolic of a spiritual tension, competition that's going on in this world. And he explains like this. There are two types of righteous people in this world. One of them is like a giant fish. The other is like a big ox. Some tzaddikim, some righteous people, are hidden, says the Alter Rebbe, meaning their spiritual power is beneath the surface. You can't see what they're doing or what they're on about. They're not apparent to anyone. It's all inside. They're connecting to the divine lights with very powerful ways, in ways that you cannot see. Different to other tzaddikim, who are revealed tzaddikim, meaning you can see exactly what they're doing. You can see their righteousness. There are certain tzaddikim, what makes them righteous? They go out and help people. They help the poor. They inspire the masses. They, they uh, give assistance to those who are lost in, in their lives. They raise money and distribute it to good causes. They're righteous and they do stuff and you see what they do and you see their righteousness. It's obvious. It's right in front of you. That's one type of righteousness. But there are other tzaddikim, you don't see anything. You don't see any of that. 
their righteousness is completely internal. They're connecting to higher worlds. They're drawing down divine light. They're helping people too, but not in a visible way, not on the surface. They're drawing divine blessing here and there and everywhere. They're, 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 they're holding up the entire world in ways that are wondrous, that are mysterious, that are beneath the surface. We can't see it. These are the hidden tzaddikim. He says these, are, these tzaddikim are like fish in the sea that operate beneath the surface and you can't see anything. You look at the sea, you can't see the life that's going on beneath the surface. They're called fish in the sea. As opposed to the tzaddikim that are like on dry land, uh, visible, like on dry land, you can see what's going on, what's not in the sea. There are some tzaddikim who are doing inner work, internal work, and there are some tzaddikim who are doing external work of fixing the world. He gives an example of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai as being a hidden tzaddik, that he spent 13 years in a cave. When you're in a cave, you can't do much on a physical plane. He didn't, couldn't even perform mitzvahs when, you, when he's hiding in a cave. He was hiding from the Romans who wanted to kill him. But on a spiritual level, he was achieving the highest heights. In fact, the teachings of the Zohar that we mentioned earlier, a lot of them were from that time, 13 years, in the cave that he spent with his son, Rabbi Lazar. So that's a hidden tzaddik, somebody who's achieving spiritual things without doing stuff, without doing good deeds and mitzvahs on an external level. They're achieving it on an internal level. Whereas a revealed tzaddik is taking the physicality of this world and transforming it by doing acts of goodness and holiness. That is the Leviathan versus the ox. The Leviathan is like this fish, this tzaddik that is hidden. The ox is the revealed tzaddik who tries to tame the physical material world. In the future, there's going to be a massive wrestle between the two. God is going to say, which was greater? Which was holier? Which is more powerful? The tzaddikim who were hidden, who worked internally, who had very high spiritual connection, but you couldn't see anything on the outside because they didn't do stuff. Or the tzaddikim who struggled with the materialist world and tried to elevate it. They did good deeds externally, and demonstrably in a way that you could see which is better there's going to be a competition a wrestle between the two and you know what they're both going to win the leviathan is going to slaughter the ox with his fin the ox is going to pierce the leviathan with his horn they're both going to win because they're both winners they're both needed there are two types of tzaddikim there are tzaddikim who struggle with the material world who are in the in the in the trenches and there are tzaddikim who are above it and beyond it and they're Spiritual life is internal and beyond, and you can't see it. And they're both needed. One's up here, one's down there. Who's greater? You can't even say. They're both, they're both greater. Fascinating teaching of the Alter Rebbe, which indicates that the hidden Sadikim could be people who are known Sadikim. You could have Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Everyone knew he was a Sadik. What you didn't know is he's also a hidden Sadik. That hidden beneath his tzaddik nature was a hidden tzaddik. He was doing stuff that nobody knew. In fact, that's the greatest place for a tzaddik to hide, behind a tzaddik. A hidden tzaddik is sometimes a known tzaddik. They could be a hidden tzaddik because the hiddenness of the tzaddik is not that nobody knows him. It's that nobody knows what he's really doing. You think you know, you have no idea. You know, we tell stories of tzaddikim. We don't even know what they're really doing, what's going on inside their mind and their heart and their neshama, what's in their soul. We have no idea. That, that's completely hidden from us. So the Alter Rebbe 
shows us, teaches us that the meaning of the hidden tzaddikim is that they're serving God on a hidden level and they're fixing things in the world that we have no idea. And he writes there, it's very difficult to describe this in words, to, to, to know what they're doing, the holiness of these tzaddikim. You can't really put it in words. Why? Because what they're doing is beyond words. Words are revelation, are expression. That's, that's the outside world. They're in an inner world that we, we can't really even put into words. Are we getting a bit of an idea of who these 36 tzaddikim are? What, what it means? 36 outside of Israel, 36 in Israel. There are revealed tzaddikim who are doing good, but then there are hidden tzaddikim who are receiving the divine light every day and drawing it down into the world in ways that we cannot fathom. We're getting a little, little inkling of a picture, but we're not really, 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 really getting it. The Balshemtov once was asked by his brother-in-law, Rabbi Gershon Kitover, please show me one of these hidden tzaddikim. It was known that the Balshemtov himself was a hidden saint for some of his life. He revealed himself to start teaching, but he still had t- connections. And, uh, and he was a part of the network of the hidden tzaddikim. And there are many stories of hidden tzaddikim and how he was connected with them. One such story is Rabbi Gershon Kitova, the brother-in-law of the Baal Shem Tov, says, please, I want to meet one. Just, just once, I want to meet a hidden tzaddik. The Baal Shem Tov said, no, no, no. That's, uh, that, that's the whole point of being a hidden tzaddik is you don't meet them. So he said, please, I just, uh, I, want, I, want, I just want to see it once. And he begged and begged and begged. And so eventually the Baal Shem Tov said, fine. This Friday night in Shul, there's going to be a hidden tzaddik. And he described a pauper, one of the poor men who's going to be in shul. He described how he's going to look. He's a hidden tzaddik. So the Baal Shem Tov told his brother-in-law, the Reb Gershon Kitava. So that Friday night, Reb Gershon went to shul and he looked out amongst the paupers in shul to see someone as, as was described by the Baal Shem Tov. And he saw, he saw, now, the Baal Shem Tov had, had made him promise that you should not say in any way that you know that he's a hidden tzaddik. You can't reveal these things. You can't, you can't say, oh, the Baal Shem Tov told me that you're a hidden tzaddik. I'm describing him so you'll know who he is, but you cannot say anything to him that you know that he knows that you know. So, Rabbi Gershon Kittu promised he wouldn't. But when he saw him in shul, he looked at him carefully, watched him didn't seem to be anything special, just a pauper in the back of shul. And uh, so he wanted to get to know this guy. So he went to him and he invited him for Friday night dinner. A poor man in shul, come to my house for, to eat. He said, thank you, I'll come for Shabbos meal, I'll come. So he came to the table and Reb Gershon was watching him very carefully, every move he made at the table. And he couldn't discern anything other than just a poor guy eating dinner. There was, no, there was nothing special about him. So at one stage, the poor man was sitting there eating. And Rabbi Gershon said to him, could you please share with us some words of Torah? And the poor man looked at him like, with a, like, like, what, me? You're asking me to share words of Torah? I'm just, I'm just a simple poor person. I'm not a Torah scholar. Why would you, a great rabbi, ask me to share words of Torah at the table? And he, the way he asked that question was a bit accusing, like, 
What would even go through your mind to ask me to say words of Torah at the table? Do you know something that you're not supposed to know was the implication of the question? So uh, Rav Gershon just left it. He, he didn't want to give anything away. So he, he left it. The next day, Shabbos continued. And at Shabbos lunch, he invited him to, to him, him again. He came over for lunch. And he was watching him again, couldn't see anything. And again, he said, don't you have any Torah ideas you could share? Rav Gershon knew that these hidden tzaddikim are very knowledgeable in Torah. They know all the secrets of Torah. They're the greatest sages of the generation in a hidden way. He must have something. Do you have something to say? So this time, the tzaddik sort of hesitated a bit. And then again said, what? Why, why, why are you asking an ignorant beggar to say words of Torah? He, he, he rejected the idea completely. Then in the, at the third meal of Shabbos, Shalshudas, as Shabbos is ending on, on Shabbos afternoon, you have a third meal, you sit together, sing songs. So this time, again, he said, just, just tell us a little word of Torah, something, something. Rabbi Gershon asked the poor man. And this time, he looked up. And the poor man's face transformed, started shining. He didn't look like a scruffy poor man anymore. He looked holy. And he was just about to open his mouth to share something. And he caught himself. And he jumped up and ran out of the room and left the house. And Gershon was in such shock. What, what just happened? This, this holiness started to be revealed and then he suddenly ran away. So he, he didn't even have a chance to chase after him, and, and he was gone. After Shabbos, Reb Gerushin went to visit the Baal Shem Tov, and he was told by the household at the Baal Shem Tov that he, the Baal Shem Tov was very, very sick. In fact, over Shabbos, he got more and more sick, and at the end of Shabbos, there was a point where they thought he was a goner. And so Reb Gerushin went into the Baal Shem Tov, and the Baal Shem Tov said to him, what did you do? Because of you, I nearly had to leave this world. What? Well, Rabbi Gershon was shocked. So the Bashem Tov explained that every tzaddik in this world has two faces. A hidden one and a revealed one. For every revealed tzaddik that people know about, there's also a hidden tzaddik that people don't know about. And they're like spiritual twins that are connected. As long as the hidden one remains hidden, the revealed one can remain revealed. That to be revealed and to be teaching is very risky. So there has to be a hidden tzaddik who holds back the energy so you don't get lost in the outside world. So I can be a teacher in the public as long as there's a hidden tzaddik who's hiding in the wings. Now, for a hidden tzaddik to be hidden is not easy. When you have this holiness, you want to share it. You want to be able to share the Torah wisdom that you have. It's extremely hard work for a hidden tzaddik to remain hidden. And so when you asked him to share words of Torah, it was excruciatingly hard for him not to. And when you kept asking by the time of the Shoulder Shudas, the third meal of, of Shabbos, the highest point of Shabbos, he really wanted to, to share something. And as his hiddenness was bubbling towards the surface to be revealed, I, says the Baal Shem Tov, I was losing my powers. My strength was ebbing to the point where I nearly had to leave this world. 
Had he said words of Torah, my soul would have to be concealed from the world. I can't be revealed unless he is hidden. And so because the Balshanta said, because everybody knows me, if he becomes known, I would have to leave this world. So thank God he held his tongue, kept himself concealed and ran out just in time. Oh, so now this sheds even greater light on what the Alter Rebbe explained about the hidden and the revealed tzaddikim. That there's these two types of tzaddikim, they're actually in partnership. The hidden tzaddikim are the ones that allowed the revealed tzaddikim to do their work. And they're supported by, the, by this hiddenness. And so therefore, these people are in contact. The revealed tzaddikim and the hidden tzaddikim are in contact. They, they, they're connected with each other. Which we know from... An amazing story, which I'll end with, of the Alter Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya. Before he printed the Tanya, the great work of philosophy and, and Hasidic thought, the, his spiritual masterpiece, before he printed it, a story happened that a particular businessman who was a student, a disciple of the Alter Rebbe, was traveling to a city called Königsberg, in Germany to do business and the Alter Rebbe at one stage it's a long story I'm gonna just get get to the point of it the, the Alter Rebbe at one stage asked him to do a favor for him I want you to get me a gift from Königsberg so the guy went to Königsberg and he bought him a, a silver snuff box as a gift the Alter Rebbe said no that's that's not what I'm what I mean he said to him tell me um, do you ever go to the theater in Königsberg? Now, this guy was a Hasidic Jew, and theaters in those times was the epitome of European culture that was the opposite of what a Hasidic Jew stood for. It was a place of immorality and inappropriateness, and it was not the type of thing that a Jew would go to a theater. A, a Hasidic Jew. So he was a bit surprised that the Balshem, that, that the Alter Rebbe was asking him to go to the theater in Königsberg, but since the Alter Rebbe said it, so he did. He's a, he's a, he's a Hasid, he's a follower of the, of the Alter Rebbe. So he went to Königsberg, he went and bought a beautiful, expensive ticket at the theater in one of the private boxes, and he went up, sat in this beautiful, comfortable chair, and fell asleep. He was comfortable. He was completely not interested in whatever uh, show was on. And he fell asleep in his beautiful, plush, comfortable chair in the Königsberg Theater. As, um, as he's slumbering and sleeping, he doesn't realize that the show ends. Everyone's left. And the janitor is starting to clean the theater. The janitor suddenly sees a Hasidic Jew asleep in the theater. You don't see anyone usually fallen asleep to that extent in the theater, let alone a Hasidic Jew you don't see in a theater at all. So he, the janitor woke him up and said, oh, excuse me, uh, it's finished. And he said, oh, he said, and so the, the janitor said, where, where are you from? I haven't seen you before. So the Jew says, I'm from Liozna, the village where he came from. So, oh, the janitor said, Liozna. So do you know Zalmanya? Zalmanya was the name of the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shneir Zalman. Zalmanya was like a, a friendly type of nickname. 
you know Zalmanya? So he said, oh, the Alter Rebbe? Yes, of course I do. So the janitor says, send him my regards. He says, okay, uh, what's your name? He says, tell him Carl. Carl sends regards. So quite surprised, but also not surprised. The Alter Rebbe had told him to go to the theater. Okay, I guess Carl regards. Okay, so he went back to Lyozhna and he went to Alter Rebbe and he said, I have regards to you from Carl, the janitor in the theater in Königsberg. The Alter Rebbe said, oh, that's what I wanted to hear. Thank you. I've got a mission for you. And he gave him a bundle. And he asked him, please take this bundle to Carl. Go back to Königsberg and give this to Carl. But bring it back to me after you've finished. So this Hasid journeyed again to Königsberg, went and found Carl, the janitor of the theater, and said that the Alter Rebbe sent a package for you, to, for you, but please give it back to me before I go back. So... Carl looked very excited, received the package. And a few days later, when the chassid was ready to go back home, he came to collect the package. And Carl gave it back to him and said, oh, this, this is amazing. And he saw that the package was actually manuscripts, writings. And Carl said that after he's written this, I don't know what's left for Mashiach to reveal when Mashiach comes. This is amazing. Says Carl... To the Chassid. It ended up that those manuscripts was the, was the first version of the Tanya, the book of Tanya. And it seems that the Alter Rebbe had sent this manuscript to Karl, the janitor of the theater in Königsberg, who was obviously a hidden tzaddik. And the Alter Rebbe wanted his approval to print the book of Tanya. And so he sent it to him to read through the manuscript. And after Carl gave his blessing, Tanya was printed. Who would have guessed that the greatest spiritual work of our time, the Tanya, was written with the permission, the approval of a janitor in a theater called Carl in Königsberg. That's a hidden tzaddik. And it could be, like the Baal Shem Tov said, that this was the Alter Rebbe's hidden tzaddik. The Alter Rebbe revealed himself to teach, to be in the public eye, he had to have a hidden tzaddik. Maybe it was Carl who maintained his, his spiritual holy connection without getting lost in the world. His hiddenness was his revelation. Who knows? But just to conclude, going back to where we started, the Talmud says that there's 36 tzaddikim who receive the face of God, the Shekhinah, every day. What it doesn't say there is that those 36 are the same people every day. It could be different 36 tzaddikim every day. Maybe different people receive the face of God every day. Maybe different people are hidden tzaddikim every day and have to bring a certain blessing into the world. And so I'll conclude with what uh, a conversation that was had by a, a journalist in Israel. Rabbi, his name was Chaim Ber, and he was in the 1930s in Israel. And he once asked Rabbi Arya Levin, the great uh, rabbi of pre-Israel, Israel, who was known as a very holy man and a tzaddik. So the journalist asked Rav Arya Levin, are you one of the hidden tzaddikim? 
And Rabbi Ari Levin's response was, sometimes. I'll leave you with that. Thank you and good night.